Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer. Welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. I was a corporate flight attendant for six years, and I tell you the brutal, honest truth of this industry. This is season two, episode 12, my biggest mistakes as a corporate flight attendant. And you know what? I made some big ones. (laughs) especially when I was a new flight attendant, and I am excited to share them with you today. This is going to be fun to discuss my mistakes, so you don't repeat them. But first, I just want to say if uh, you'd like to and it resonates with you, definitely check out my book, The Corporate Flight Attendant Book. It is in the show notes. Uh, I have a link to my website and you can see it there. And there are a lot of things in the book that I do not cover in the podcast, including salary, including a day in the life of a corporate flight attendant. So you may want to check that out if you want to go behind the scenes more or if you are an aspiring corporate flight attendant. So check that out if that interests you. Okay, so let's start with my mistakes. I have six of them today, and they are big ones. Number one, you should always do a quick check of everything, even if you are on a charter flight working for a charter company, meaning a NetJets, a Clay Lacey, something like that, because We are trained a lot of the time to just check the aircraft when you're on the owner aircraft. And then when you're in the charter, you assume that the job is left to that cabin services manager who, keep in mind, oversees, I don't even know how many planes, could be dozens, could be even more. And that's a huge job. So you have to double check everything. And then sometimes on, for example, ExoJet, these pilots are the ones who restock, but you know, again, they're really busy. So you have to double check everything. And I have two examples for you with this and they're, oh boy, they're interesting. The first example is I was on a charter flight. I read through the preference sheet, of course, as you should, and make sure you have everything for the passengers or the packs. And there was a woman, and by the way, this is a common thing. There was a lead passenger who was a female and she wanted a glass of sparkling rosé when she got on board because she was a nervous flyer. So it helped calm her, which makes sense. So of course I read through the sheet. I saw this, I had the rosé, everything was fine. About, I don't know, a minute before she gets on, I mean, literally the car had started to pull up. I noticed that there were no champagne glasses in the holders and I nearly had a panic attack because at that point there was nothing I could do. I couldn't race back into the FBI. We couldn't do anything. I was screwed at that point. She got on and I pulled a low ball glass out and I poured the sparkling rosé into the low ball glass and served it to her. And what you're going to notice if you haven't noticed already with this podcast is you have to be pretty good at exaggerating or lying (laughs) because sometimes with these passengers, if you don't have something and it's a situation where you can get around it a little bit, then I would say get around it a little bit, right? Fake it until you make it. So I handed her the low ball glass I put it in her cup holder and I 
bent down and I explained. And by the way, intuitively, I felt that this person was a very nice person, which she was. And I said, listen, we may be experiencing some turbulence today. And that's why I did not use a champagne glass. I am going to just keep this in a low ball glass for you. I hope that's okay. And she said, oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. Thank you for thinking of me. Luckily, she was cool. The flight was around an hour halfway through. I didn't want her to ask for a champagne glass. So I went up to her again and I said, I'm so sorry, but there's still maybe some turbulence and I just don't want any champagne to spill on you. So, you know, if it's okay, I'm just going to keep it in a low ball glass. And she said, oh, no worries. Thank you again. Luckily, I was able to intuitively read the passenger And I saw that she was going to be okay. But if she had thrown a fit, I would have understood that because this woman paid a lot for a charter flight and to not have something as basic as a champagne flute is crazy. So I would have taken the fall on that one. So (laughs) the moral of the story is even on a charter flight, make sure they have everything on board. Number two... I was on a trip, this was an owner trip, where I did not check the water levels. You always should check the water levels. Now, technically, because they had a big maintenance staff, this was not my job, but it doesn't matter because you're the one who's going to be screwed if you don't have enough water, because what happens? You can't do the dishes, you can't, they can't flush the toilets, like, it's a huge problem. I didn't check the water levels and the maintenance staff forgot to refill the water and we only had a little bit. So the director of aviation who was flying that day, of course it happens with the director of aviation, of course, (laughs) had to take water bottles and open a closet and luckily there's some type of tube where you can fill the water from within and went through an entire case of water refilling the water as best as he could so the passenger wasn't like uh, I have no water to wash my hands and I have no water to flush this toilet so luckily we had someone on who could fix that and I learned how to fix it and I felt terrible And I told the director of aviation, I am so sorry, I should have checked that. That was my fault. And he said, no, it's not. That is the job of the maintenance staff. So he was not angry. He was a nice guy, but he was not happy with the maintenance staff. And I, of course, never would want to get them in trouble. And even though it wasn't my fault, I still should have double checked. So always double check those water levels, even if it's not your job quote unquote, even if the company tells you, oh, it's just up to the pilots, don't worry about it. Get on the aircraft, ask the pilots how to check the water levels and check them. These people are absolute professionals, especially the pilots, but everyone has a bad day. Everyone forgets something. It's just how it goes in this industry, especially if you have delays and they're worried about weather and you know more and more and more. So just make sure to always support the staff who always help you out. Okay, number two, I at the time was for some reason attracting a lot of breakfast flights. Don't know why, just was string of breakfast flights and um, I wasn't eating 
bagels or bread at the time. So when I ordered for these breakfast flights, I would do everything. You know, I would do eggs and muffins and parfaits and sliced fruit and salmon. I did everything except bread and bagels because I wasn't eating them. And I never got called out on it except for one flight. There was a man who was an executive who came up to me and said, hey, do you have any bagels? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. Luckily again, hear me say luckily again, he was cool and he was like, okay, and there were no complaints. However, he made a good point because we were flying from the Northeast and you should always have bagels if you're flying from New York, always. And I didn't provide that, which is not good. And I didn't provide bread, which bread is to me a staple in breakfast now that I'm eating (laughs) bread again. And I didn't have that either. So that taught me a really good lesson. If you're just in this weird frame of mind, which obviously I was, and you're excluding certain things from your diet, make sure you just do a Google search of typical American breakfast or typical fancy American breakfast and double check yourself. Number three, overscheduling. You should always provide at least a day in between trips. And that is because you don't know if something's going to get delayed or maybe the other trip will move up a day. You just don't know. So my basic rule of thumb is to have definitely 24 hours a day between trips, if you can, even better to have two days between trips. So you just get rest for yourself. I was getting a lot of work at one point, especially, and you know, I wanted the money, who doesn't? So I booked two trips with an eight hour window in between. How stupid is that, that I'm saying it out loud right now? I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) that is such a newbie, uh, not smart mistake. So what happened was I remember the first trip, we got in really late at night, early in the morning, maybe around 4 a.m. I was exhausted. I went to the FBO. I tried to sleep for three hours. I couldn't sleep. So I was just absolutely overexhausted. I had to drive to the next FBO and the flight was very early. I boarded the plane. I was prepping everything. I was slicing fruit and I sliced my finger open to the point I pretty much put the knife through my finger. (laughs) I have no idea how I didn't have to have stitches because it was really, really bad. The finger was profusely bleeding, profusely. And this is a good tip of why you need to always have Band-Aids in your purse, always. I don't care, that's your staple. Put it in your backpack, your purse. If you're a guy and you just like to have a wallet or I shouldn't be gender biased like that. If you're anyone who likes to just carry a wallet, put some band-aids in your wallet because if you have to open up that medical kit, that's thousands of dollars for you to open a new medical kit for a band-aid and the pilots do not like that. Always carry band-aid because you're carrying band-aids for you, you're carrying band-aids for the pilots, for the passengers, so just make it a habit. Anyway, So I'm bleeding profusely, no exaggeration. It's 10 minutes before the packs come on or the passengers, right? We call packs passengers. Uh, No, opposite. We call passengers packs (laughs) before the packs come on. 
there's no time. I still have to prep a few more things. There was nothing I could do. I tried to, you know, secure it the best I could. It was still bleeding. It was bleeding. I had to use one hand to serve and do placemats and, uh, you know, silverware and the whole thing. It was my good fortune that these passengers were all so embroiled in their work that they didn't even notice what I was doing. And they'd probably been on private planes so many times I was nothing to them, which thank God that (laughs) that was a good thing. And I had to kind of hide my finger because it wouldn't stop bleeding. And in the galley, I dripped blood on the carpet and I cleaned it up. I, I cleaned it up fine with the spray I had. But still, you don't want to go on this nice private jet and have a flight attendant bleeding over you. That's disgusting. Like that's, you know, a health issue, (laughs) like a safety issue. So I had to really hide my finger the entire flight. Luckily, I think it was only a 45 minute job. So it wasn't that bad, but still it was extremely stressful. And that happened because I overscheduled and I learned to never do that again. Number four, vaping. I've only half told this story. I remember when I was on the Hollywood Raw podcast, I briefly told this story, but I've never gone into the full story. Here's what happened. Okay, let me back up for a second. If you are on an owner flight or a corporate flight, they can do what they want. With these cigarette companies, they smoke in cabin. There's nothing you can do. With these casino flights, they smoke in cabin. There's nothing you can do. If you have an owner who likes to smoke on his or her plane, there's nothing you can do. That's just how it is. The same with vaping. However, if you're on a charter, you do have a little bit more wiggle room to say, please stop vaping. There was a flight where it was a lot of people. It was packed. It was 14 people, 14 packs. One passenger began to vape. And here's the mistake I made is I assumed it was just going to be one passenger. So I went up to the pilot and I said, Hey, just so you know, this guy's vaping and I'm a little nervous. It's an hour and a half flight and I don't want to be in the cabin the whole time. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you're the one that's going to have to go back and tell him. And if you do, you have to do it now because you can't all of a sudden say that half an hour in, or you can't say it on the way back or, or whatever it was. And I said, okay. I said, I guess I'm okay with it. And he said, okay, that's fine. So I go back in cabin and probably about 15, 20 minutes later, five more people are vaping. I ended up getting sick, some type of lung illness from that trip because of all the vaping. I wish initially I would have pushed it and said something and said, please, can you stop vaping? Because, you know, it's unhealthy for me or it's unhealthy for the crew because we're in a confined space for so long. I would have done that. But unfortunately, um, I didn't and I ended up getting sick. So that is something for you to think about if you are on a charter flight. Do you have the power to ask people to stop smoking and vaping and the whole thing? Because it depends on the charter company's rules because that is their plane. So if they don't want people smoking and vaping on their planes, then you can always dust off the old rule book and say, listen, unfortunately, this isn't allowed. This is a contract you signed. So it just depends. Definitely, if you're new to this industry and you're going into charter, take a look at that 
and see, you know, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And if you're okay with it, then you're okay with it. Unfortunately, it made me sick and I wouldn't do it again, but that's me. All right. Number five, buy a nicer uniform. I would always buy the on sale at theory. Something was always a little wrong with it. That's why it was so discounted. So by the time I had gone through all these on sale dresses or even pants, (laughs) I could have just bought a really nice suit for $500 to $700, which I know is a lot of money to put out at once. Trust me, I know. But I would have rather invested in that nice suit and gotten it tailored and the whole works instead of just putting out money, putting out money, putting out money. If you do wear heels, because remember that we only wear heels to greet and then we change into flats during flight because a lot of the owners do not like heels on their carpeting, understandably so. So when you get measured and tailored for a suit, make sure you hem it correctly in the ankle area that it's hemmed for the flat shoes, not for the heels because you're hardly going to be wearing heels. The flight attendants that went ahead and you could tell bought the nicer uniforms, and I have to say especially to the men who were wearing the nice suits, it just looked nice. It just looks so much more presentable and it just added something. Now, I'm not saying I didn't look good or I didn't look nice. I think I did. I know I did, but I could have stepped it up a bit, especially for myself. And I feel in the end, I did waste money by, I kept replacing dress after pants, after dress, after pants, after shirt. Instead, I could have just had this suit. And then what you do, let's say that you have a suit made, man or woman, whatever, um, or non-binary, whatever your gender is. And you're nervous because let's say something spills on the jacket. Well, what I would do is I would carry a cardigan just in case, a lightweight cardigan. So if something happens in flight, then you just pop on the cardigan and that's it. And no one's going to know the wiser, right? So that's the way around that. So definitely if you can buy a nicer uniform, at the get-go. Number six, oh boy, (laughs) this one is interesting, pet care. Beware if you're single with a dog or dogs and you have no partner or your partner does not have a regular non-travel job, maybe they're also in the industry and you have no family nearby. This was my biggest challenge or one of my biggest challenges is a corporate flight attendant because I had to spend an astronomical amount of money on dog care. Astronomical because I didn't have family nearby. I didn't have close friends nearby where I could just leave my dog at their house, which is a lot, by the way. You're leaving the dog at the house for sometimes 20 days a month. So it would have to be family, I would imagine. I had to use a dog sitter who I loved and treated my dog like gold. However, um, at the end of the month, I would say, I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, I said, I feel like I have no money at the end of the month. I should be saving a lot more. And he said, it's Tia. That's my dog's name. It's because of Tia. You spend so much money on dog care. And I was like, no way. And he said, add it up. I did. And I realized that I was spending $500 to $700 a month on dog care. Isn't that astronomical? 
So be prepared if you are in a situation like I was in. If you are an aspiring corporate flight attendant and you are looking to get a dog and you have no one to help you out, don't do it. Don't do it. Cats are easier. (laughs) I will say that. People who have to leave a cat, it's not as big of a deal. But with the dog, it's extremely expensive. And it's also worrisome. And it's also sad. The first time, my first trip to the Bahamas, I handed over my dog to my dog sitter and I was crying. (laughs) I remember that. It was like handing a kid to daycare. I was just crying my eyes out. I was so upset. And it's also sad leaving your pet all the time, which was happening to me. Again, sometimes 25 days a month if I had a really busy month. If you have family in the area, and I hear this a lot, maybe if you're not married or you don't have a significant other right now, I've heard of corporate flight attendants leaving their pet with parents, with sister, with a brother, someone like that, and it works out really well. If that does happen, make sure to don't be shysty, be generous. If someone is taking care of your pet and not even asking for money for let's say 10 to 20 days a month, you've got to do something for them. You know, I don't care. Spend $100 a month on a gift certificate, uh, a dinner out for this person and their partner. Uh, If there's any type of I don't know, activity they like to do, pay for it, a spa date, whatever it is, you have to treat these people well who are taking care of your pets. And they don't expect money, for example, their family or best friends or something, because that is a huge responsibility. Even if they say to you, oh, we don't mind, we love the pet, this is working out so well for us and we love sharing time, that's great. You have a great opportunity, but you cannot take advantage of it. So If you're making $7,000 a month, you can afford to spend $100 on some type of dinner or gift certificate or spa day or whatever it is. Definitely treat the person right because I didn't have anyone and it was so hard. It was really tough to deal with. I would have gladly put out $100 a month to just say thank you to someone. So definitely do that and be generous in saying thank you too. Don't ever forget to say Thank you, and I really appreciate you doing this because they are really doing you a solid. Trust me on that. (laughs) And also, I just want to say, if you have a partner who's doing this for you, and I understand you're married, you're in a relationship, it's part of the deal, but still, that's really nice that they're doing it. You know, take them out to dinner once in a while, do a really good sexual favor, whatever it is, whatever makes them happy. Just, you know, make it special and say thank you. Oh, and just one more thing I want to add about the pet care. If you find yourself in a situation like I was, where you have to spend $600 a month on pet care or more, just budget for it. Just make sure you budget for it and make sure, let's say, you know, that $600 a month, maybe that's one trip that you're like, okay, I only want to do 10 days a month if I'm doing contract, but maybe I want to do 12 days a month just to cover that, right? Just to make sure I definitely cover those expenses. And that's what you have to do. You have to sacrifice a little. And if you find that you don't like leaving your pet that much, which honestly, I found that because I'm like, why do I have a dog if I keep giving her to a dog sitter? And trust me, I went to Australia for three months and I paid $5,000 for a dog sitter to watch her while I was in Australia. Never do that again. Never. 
Um, so I've been through the ringer with this whole pet care and I am obsessed with my dog and my dog is very lucky <laughs> in that fact. But if you find yourself in this situation, definitely budget for it and also think about, hey, maybe I don't want to fly 20 days a month. Maybe I want to fly more like cap for me is 13, 12 days a month. So I spend most of the month with my pet. Just something to think about. If you have anything you would like me to cover, email me at freespiritpodcasts at gmail.com and check out my flight attendant products and service in the show notes. The next episode will drop Friday, September 16th. Until then, happy flying.